Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians. Returning to the book of Philippians, I had intended to be here a number of weeks ago, but as the different wee events have unfolded in the church, we're finally arriving in the book of Philippians this afternoon. We're turning to the book of Philippians and we're turning to the chapter 1. We're going to take time to read the first 11 verses in the book of Philippians. This is the word of the Lord. And as Paul speaking, and Paul writing, Paul writes these words. He says, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day and being confident of this very thing, have begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my griefs. For God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus, unto the glory and praise of God. Let's just bow for a moment. Our Father, this afternoon we have just arrived at the pinnacle of our gathering. Father, your precious word has been read. And Father, as your servant now, I ask for fresh help. Father, I pray that indeed I will know the help of the Spirit of God. I pray, Father, that indeed each of us here will hear the voice of God speaking. And Father, as we come to the book, we ask you, Father, that you would make the book live. And that you would make the book live in each one of us. Hear our prayer. We ask this in the precious name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Many people today are consumed by a passionate pursuit of happiness. And they'll pursue happiness in many different things. It might be fashion. It might be sporting success. It might be business success. It might be job progression. But people will seek happiness in all these things and quite often they'll quickly realize that happiness doesn't last, that happiness doesn't last very long. And they're soon searching again for a new sense of this happiness. And you know, they'll turn to other things. It wouldn't take you very long today to find a self-help book. Or maybe a quick search on YouTube and you'll find a motivational speaker uh, encouraging happiness and telling you how you can be happy. Or maybe a Google search for an article on the internet and you'll find someone who claims to know the key to happiness. 
But for many people, as they look at all these things, the door remains locked, even after seeking all this help, and they can't find true happiness. When our job, relationships, or house, or in the case of Christmas church, fails to make us happy, so often people will run and they'll leave and they'll look for a new one, a new job, a new relationship, a new home. And there are many people or what we could, on what we could call the merry-go-round of life. They never quite seem to reach the pinnacle. They never seem to reach that, that amount of happiness and self-gratification that they're looking for. And having fruitlessly pursued happiness through all these different pleasures and things, they come to the jaded view of life that the preacher came to in Ecclesiastes when he said, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But if happiness, the fleeting feeling of acceleration, is elusive, let me tell you, dear child of God, today, joy is not. And over the next few months in the Lord's will, we're going to study God's Word in the book of Philippians over these family services and Sundays. We're going to consider the book of Philippians and study it under the title, The Pursuit of Joy. And we're talking about real biblical joy and what that means and how we can find it. What do I mean by biblical joy? Well, John MacArthur, he defines it this way. John MacArthur says it's the settled conviction that God sovereignly controls the events of life for the believer's good and for his glory. And this biblical joy is available to all who will obey him. In fact, God commands the believer, dear brother and sister, I wonder do you realize this? The Bible commands you to rejoice today. It commands you to rejoice. In fact, in the book of Philippians, we'll find it in chapter 2, verse 18, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 4. It's found in 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 11, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 16, and the list could go on. We are commanded to rejoice. In the psalm we read at the outset of our meeting today, which tells us and encourages us as the children of God to rejoice and to worship His majesty. And the divine joy is the theme of the book of Philippians. The Greek word for joy, in both its noun and ver verb forms, appears a dozen times in the four chapters. You know, during the Second World War, Paul Snyder was a pastor of a church in Berlin. And he was imprisoned by Hitler because he was preaching against fascism. And as a result, he never saw his wife and he never saw his children again. And despite beatings and torture and finally execution, the letters that he wrote from the concentration camp to his wife were filled with joy. Again and again he wrote, I'm so happy. He wrote, I'm so grateful to the Lord. And he lived for Christ. And therefore in his life, he had nothing to lose. A man who lived for Christ. And here in our passage this morning, we listen to Paul. Paul, who had been deprived of his freedom, been under house arrest in, in Rome with a Roman soldier 24-7. And he was chained to this soldier and eventually he would have been thrown into the prison. And times for Paul were tough. He was a prisoner facing possible execution 
and his back was against the wall. And yet when he picked up his quill and wrote in the parchment and wrote this lovely letter that we're going to take time to study, the letter just resonates with joy. A man in prison on death row, and yet his letter resonates with joy. This was a man who tells us in Scripture that five times he said, I've received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once, he tells us, he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked, dangerous, labor, hardship, hunger, thirst. And yet while sitting in a prison cell, yet again, here he was, awaiting execution, and he writes all about his joy in Christ. You know, 20 years have passed since the church had been established in Philippi when Paul was writing this letter. We find the record of the birth of this church in Acts chapter 16. Why don't you take a bit of time this afternoon to read that tremendous chapter? You see, let me give you a quick summary of what happens there. Look, he wrote Acts, and look, he wrote the record of the arrival of a small band of messengers. And if you and I had been standing in Philippi that day, you just would have seen a small four travellers walk into town, arrive and they walk to the river and they just open conversation with some of the local people. You would have looked on, you wouldn't have thought that much was really happening. Just four travellers arriving and that was it, trying to find their way, opening conversation with the locals. But it wasn't an ordinary day. You see, as they came to have that conversation in the river, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and Paul, they arrived on the Sabbath day morning, and there was just a wee converted Jew and this band of missionaries. And let me tell you, for you and I today, this was a massive moment in the history of redemption. How can I say that? Well, this was the first time that the gospel of Jesus Christ planted its feet in Europe. The first time. When they took their steps into that city, it was the first time the gospel would be heard in Europe. And on that Sabbath morning, they find Lydia by the river. She was a religious woman, but she wasn't saved. And Paul spoke to her and pointed her to Christ, and she was saved, and then she was baptized. That morning, she woke up in the darkness of religion, and that night she put her head in the pillow, and she was a blood-bought citizen of heaven. Isn't that what we want here at Grange Baptist? We want to see people walk through our door in the darkness of their sin, and leave having put their trust in Christ as Saviour. What a Saviour he is! And his ear is ever open to the cry of the repentant sinner, and he says to the uttermost all who will believe. Oh, that the Lord would move in our gatherings, that we would see many souls putting our trust in Christ as Saviour. Oh, that we would know, as we spoke of a few weeks ago, the divine presence of God in our midst, week by week. After Lydia was saved, we read, of the, we read the account of the demon-possessed girl in Acts 16. And it tells us there that she was a soothsayer in today's terms. That just means she was a fortune teller. And she made her masters a lot of money. And she followed Paul and the other men around for a number of days in Philippi. And really, to put it in our terms, she made a nuisance of herself. And Paul dealt with the situation, 
And the demon left the girl and she trusted Christ and because of the situation her masters were furious and they, you, they threw Paul and Silas into prison. That of course leads to the climax of Acts chapter 16. When Paul and Silas are in prison, you're never going to guess that Paul is singing praises to God. And there he was, Paul and Silas singing, and there was an earthquake, and their chains broke, and the prison doors were flung open. And then there comes one of the most famous questions that's asked in Scripture, and the prison guard, he turns and he says to Paul and Silas, just a few moments before, about to take his life, Paul and Silas stop him, and he says, Serge, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And the jailer and his family, they were saved. And this was the foundation of this little church in Philippi. There's the beginning of a little new place. There's Lydia seed, the, the demon-possessed girl, the demon out, and she was saved. And then the jailer and his family, and they got saved. And there was a wee church planted in Philippi. And there that day, as Paul and his band of missionaries arrived in Philippi, the Lord used them planted this wee church. And here we are and we arrive in this letter and Paul yet again is in prison. This time he's in Rome but he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. A church whom he loved so much and we're going to see that as we study this letter. As we come now to this letter of Paul's we're going to see that he loved them and today we're going to see we're thinking on our little study this morning we're calling Gospel Partnership. Gospel partnership. I want you to consider, first of all, Paul's greeting. Paul's greeting. It says there in verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ. Do you see his greeting? He says, we're the servants of Jesus Christ. I want you to see that he defines who he is. He defines who he is. Paul and Timothy, who are you? And where do you find your identity? And the reply comes, we're servants of Jesus Christ. There's no biography, there's no introduction that tells you their life, no, no information that tells you of their success in the past. No, no history of all the places that Paul had been and all the people that have been saved under Paul's ministry. No, no reasons why you ought to listen to Paul. He just says, I'm Paul and I'm, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. You know when you go to a Christian conference, you often find there's a little expert, excerpt in the brochure that's written all about the speaker, who he is, where he's from, why he's worth listening to. Nothing like that here. Simply servants. Servants of Jesus Christ. I wonder, can you sense the humility here? You know, right throughout history, the people that God has used effectively for his glory are those who are willing to humble themselves before him. Do not read in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Do you remember the Corinthian church? They were arguing and they were dividing themselves over who their favorite speaker was. Over the one who led them to Christ. And some of them were, were saying, I prepare Apollos. And others were saying, I prepare Paul. And Paul, he reminds them that it's not about a man. And he says, what is Paul? And what is Apollos? He doesn't say, who is Paul? He says, what is Paul? He just makes himself an item. 
Because in comparison to Christ, he sees himself as nothing. And he tells the Corinthians, it's Christ who gives the increase. Listen, this afternoon, if you're saved, it wasn't because of your own merits. It wasn't because you deserve to be saved. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God owes you and I nothing. We are sinners who have offended him, and he gave his best for us, and he saved us from a lost eternity, and therefore we should serve him with humility. Well, do you? Do you serve the Lord with humility? Or do you serve him to bring glory to your own need? Maybe you think to yourself, look at all the work I'm doing for the Lord. Or we should serve him with humility. You know, it's lovely to see that there are so many sat in front of me this afternoon who are heavily involved in the work here at Grange. But learn the lesson from God's word this afternoon. Serve him with humility. You know, when we serve Christ, we serve one another. For the child of God, we're to see ourselves lower than those around us. We're to prefer each other's needs as we serve Him. You see, that's what gospel partnership is all about. If we're going to achieve something for Christ, we need to be willing to serve one another and to love one another with the same sacrificial love as Christ who loves the church. That means that sometimes you need to exercise grace. That means sometimes you need to turn the other cheek. Because the church is full of imperfect people and different personalities. But we're to love each other with that agape, unconditional love. That's what gospel partnership is all about. I wonder when people come in off the street into Greens Baptist. What would they say? Do they see a wee fellowship that just loves each other? Because Christ loves each of us. We're to serve one another. Paul says we're servants. But I want you to see also in his greeting that he defines who the church is. He defines who the church is. Look, Paul says, well, I'm a servant, Timothy's a servant, but then he says, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are in Philippi. He defines the church as saints. Like, Paul is writing to the saints in Christ Jesus. Like, saints aren't a group of particularly outstanding Christians. The meaning of the word saint today and um, it's, it's really been watered down and diluted. Uh, and really what this word saint means in the New Testament, it's used to describe every Christian. If you're a child of God today, you're a saint. It means holy one. The saint is someone who is set apart from sin. Who has been set apart by Christ. And the saint is someone who belongs to Christ. His peculiar people, as Titus tells us. I wonder in your life, do you live up to your status? I wonder, do you live up to your status as a saint of God? What about in work? Are you caught up joining the conversations that the child of God shouldn't be part of? 
or even maybe just laughing at the jokes that are immoral? Are you set apart in your business transactions? Are you honest with the tax man? Is the way you live as a family set apart? Do you have a family altar when you gather together and read God's word and pray together? Husbands and wives, do you read the Bible and pray together? If you're saved, you're numbered with the saints. But are you living up to the title? The key to being a saint is being and looking at the diversity in Christ Jesus. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, we read this verse, it says, For as Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In Christ. The saint who is in Christ is heaven bound, has everlasting life guaranteed, and they're no longer on the road to a lost eternity. And if you're a saint of God this afternoon, you have plenty to shout and sing about. That's why Paul could find joy in a prison shed. You see, the atoning work of the cross means that, we're no, that we no longer say that we're in Adam, but we now can say that we're in Christ because we've been bought with his precious blood. If you're in Christ, living for him and living up to your status as a saint should come naturally to you. You see, you'll want to serve him. Let me put it another way. Let me put it this way. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. When Christ came, he came as the second Adam. That's how Paul describes it. And he came to do all that Adam failed to do. He came to undo everything that Adam did in the fall. And so his death and resurrection, through his death and resurrection, the Lord Jesus dealt with the guilt and the power of sin. And when we come to trust Christ as Savior, we are placed in Christ. And we reap all the benefits and blessings of being in him. You see, when we're placed in Christ, we receive one blessing after another, not because you and I deserve it, no, but rather simply because we belong to him. It's a wonderful thing to be in Christ, you know, dear believer. So can I ask you this afternoon? Maybe you're here and you haven't quite figured that out yet. Can I ask you, are you in Christ? I'm not asking, are you at the church this afternoon? That's not the question I'm asking. That's an entirely different question. I'm asking, are you in Christ? You know, you can be in a garage and not become a car. You can be in a hospital and not become a doctor. You can be in church and not be a Christian and not be in Christ. It's, it's like being in a restaurant and all the food that you need to eat is there. Everything you need to stop yourself from being hungry. But if you don't eat it, you'll still be starving. Are you in Christ? That's the whole emphasis of the ministry here at Grange, in every department of the work. Firstly, it's about are you in Christ? And when you're in Christ, then it's about growing in Christ. That is all our business here at Grange Baptist. Seeing people come to Christ, being saved from their sin, being then found in Christ, and then growing in Christ. 
then one day go into deep with Christ. That's our business here below. So I suppose you could say it's not about where you're at today. It's about who you're in. Are you an Adam in your sin? Or are you, or are, or are you in Christ? A seed, set apart, living for him each day. Either you're in or out this afternoon. You know, there's an old children's hymn you used to sing it in the gospel halls. And it's one door and only one. And yet it's sides are two. I'm on the inside. On which side are you? Paul, he defines who he is. He defines who the church is. He defines what the gospel is. In the final part of his greeting in verse 2, he says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. And from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, here is the gospel in a nutshell. It's the grace of God entering our lives that brings peace with God. Did you get that? <clears throat> it's the grace of God entering our lives that brings peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we read these words, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a one-way street. We're eternally reconciled to him, and nothing can ever change that. And that's where our joy is found, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul opens up his book of joy, he speaks about a particular place where we can encourage each other and find joy. And that's in true Christian fellowship. You see, he says three things about the Philippians church. He says, first of all, he says to them, you're on my mind. You're on my mind. Verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my requests with joy. Now, when you think about Paul's situation, and when we think about what Paul is, he's in lockdown, he's stuck in this prison. You know, we know a bit about being stuck in lockdown over the past number of years. But not only that, Paul there, he's there in that prison cell and he's in chains. And Paul, as he thinks from that prison cell about his brothers and sisters in the church in Philippi, when he thinks about them, he says, I make my prayer requests with joy. You fill me with joy when I think about you. You're on my mind. And he is he's filled with thankfulness and joyfulness in his heart. And he's not better thinking about himself. And he tells us how he remembers the great fellowship and the gospel that he had with the church in Philippi. You know, one of the failures in our lives is how forgetful we are. We're a lot like the couple who were sitting in church and the wife suddenly said, Oh honey, I forgot to turn off the electric iron before we left home. And her husband looked at her and smiled and said, Don't worry dear, it won't burn long. I just remembered I forgot to turn off the tap in the bath. <laughs> you know, we forget all that God has done in our life. And how forgetful we are about the people that God has placed in our lives. Let me tell you something. I'm so glad for many spiritual men and women that the Lord has placed in my life and throughout my life. He took an interest in me. He taught me the things of the Lord. 
you guided me, you prayed for me. I thank God for those people. And so often we can forget them. We can forget the people that God placed in our lives. On this journey, we can forget to give thanks for them. Paul didn't forget. He had great gospel fellowship with these people. Look at verse 5. He says, for your fellowship in the gospel. You're on my mind. Why? Because for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And Paul sits and he thinks about all these people and the blessing they've been to him in partnering with him in his gospel efforts. And he's thankful for his fellowship with them. And he's thankful for the wonderful memories. You know, to remember certain people can bring back dreadful memories rather than delightful memories. Just the thought of some people can bring all different kinds of emotions. Some will bring fear. Others will bring anxiety. Some will bring happiness. Some will bring disgust. Some will bring joy. I've often wondered what people think about me when they leave. Maybe it's about time each of us thought what sort of impact we're having in those around us. Are we blessing those that come in to our company? Do we point them to Christ? Do our lives really enjoy? And I wonder, do we ever give thanks as we remember the people God has placed in our lives? He says, you're in my heart. Not only are you in the mind, but you're in my heart. Look at verse 7. Paul says, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Isn't that lovely? I think that's lovely. Here's this wee church in Philippi. And Paul says, you're not just in my mind, but you're in my heart. Paul had these believers in his heart because he loved them. To many of them, he had been a spiritual father, and so it was right that he would carry his spiritual children in his heart. I wonder, do you love for the family of God? I wonder, do you love this local church family? Love for your brothers and sisters in Christ is evidence of salvation. John says this, he says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. I have you in my heart, says Paul. You know, this is better than having people in our minds. For our thoughts about some people can either be sad or glad. This is better than having people in our lips to be constantly talking about them. This is better than having people on our nerves. I wonder do you love your brother and sister in Christ. I wonder do you express that love. Is it evident in how you talk while present here? Is it evident to the second our fellowship that you love them and you haven't forgotten them? Do you ever visit them? Do you ever bring groceries for them? Do you ever pray for them? Do you ever read with them? Or do you even think, would you even think of sending them a week on? I wonder, do you have this local fellowship in your heart? The church in Philippi, like no other, stood solidly with Paul. He says in verse 7, As much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Paul says you've parted with me. You know, Spurgeon was once asked on, the, on an occasion, 
what's the secret to your success? He said, oh, he says, my people pray for me. Paul, he goes on and he says in verse 8, For God is my record, how I greatly long after you in the boils of Christ Jesus. That word boils, it just means a person's deepest inner affections. He couldn't love them any deeper. The deep love that he expressed to them was because of the divine love he had experienced in Christ. And he wanted to share Christ's love and he loved them with that same love. And he says that the vials of Jesus Christ, what love did Christ have for us? What was Christ's love and all that enabled him to love so deeply? And let me put it this way, he loved the church in Philippi with a Calvary heart. What do I mean? It was sacrificial. Didn't matter what they would do. It was a love that was just... It was just a love that came in the same sacrificial love that Christ had at Calvary. I wonder, do you have a Calvary heart? Paul says, I have you in my mind. He says, I have you in my heart. But finally this morning he tells them, I have you in my prayers. Verse 4 he says, Always in every prayer of mine, for you making requests with joy, Paul prayed for them continually. It says always. He prayed for them continually. He prayed for them specifically. It says making requests. He prayed for them joyfully, with joy. And he offers specific petitions with joy. There's nothing more precious and bringing others before the throne of grace. Mm. I wonder if you feel to pray for others. You know, Christians with needs are much more than just a list that's read out of the prayer. Mm. Quite often, Christians' needs are heard about, but seldom prayed for. And if we are to experience joy as a fellowship, we need to be in constant prayer for one another thinking about one another often and displaying God's love to one another. We as Christians are the temples in which God dwells and he reveals his love through us. And that should be evident in our thoughts, our love and our prayers. So as we conclude this morning, what do others say in your life? How will you be remembered? You know, we're meant to be the answer to mankind's needs. We're, we meant, we're meant to know the answer to mankind's need. We do. It's Christ. But yet at times, when folks walk into a fellowship, they see divisions. They see a lack of love. And our impact on others sometimes isn't what it should be as a child of God. Campbell Morgan was a famous British preacher and he had five sons, all of whom became preachers of the gospel. There were six preachers in one family. And one day a visitor came into their home and dared to ask the question, which of the six of you men are the best preacher? 
And all six of them answered and said, Mom. Of course, Mrs. Morgan didn't preach, but her life was a constant sermon on the love of God. I wonder, is your life a constant sermon on the love of God? Oh, that we would live today thinking about each other's needs, loving the church as Christ loves the church, and praying for one another as we are, and engaging in gospel partnership one with the other.